0: globally, I think that this is a, a an issue that, you know, we're really, we're paying attention to in a big, big way. The country is really focused on trying to solve what has become a crisis. So, let me know your thoughts. 780-496-0063. Uh, the Feds have, uh, have announced this housing accelerator fund worth $4 billion, and now municipalities across our wonderful country are waiting to see if they're going to get a little piece of that pie. What exactly will it do, and is it enough, is what we're going to get into right now with our guest, who's Director for For the Place Center, Mike Moffitt. Mike, thank you so much for making the time. Good to talk to you.
1: No, good to talk to you. Thanks for having me.
0: So you have been beating the drum of the housing crisis in a big way for quite some time, and it's been getting a lot of attention. Uh, You recently helped co-author a report that I know the feds were taking a look at, uh, at the Liberal Cabinet retreats, talking about the renting crisis, as you put it. I just want to start with why it is, Mike, that you feel so passionate about this subject specifically.
1: Well, I, I think it influences everything that uh, if uh, people can't find a place to live, uh, they uh, can't move next to to job opportunities. Uh, some of the work that we've done in regional economic development has shown that uh, uh, companies are having trouble expanding because they can't find workers. They can't attract workers to uh, to to move to higher cost uh, places like like the GTA. Um, you're seeing, uh, you know, young people not be able to to start families and that kind of thing. So it's just it, it, it infects the entire economy when, when our housing system simply isn't working anymore.
0: It kind of feels like a lack of long term planning, you know, to kind of just remain status quo without creating any new infrastructure or really focusing on the problem at hand. So, you know, that kind of brings us back to this idea of this accelerator housing fund. What is this intended to do? And is this the idea that you were hoping that it was going to come out of this cabinet retreat?
1: So The Housing Accelerator Fund, uh, I mean, the genesis of this goes back to the 2021 uh, election. And the idea of it is that there are a lot of things at the municipal level that holds up uh, housing development. So particularly with smaller municipalities, some of their systems aren't even digitized. So people are doing things by uh, pen and paper and then faxing them in. And then, you know, you have somebody on the other end, uh, you know, typing it into a computer. So, you know, that obviously slows down the process. So what this $4 billion is designed to do is help municipalities identify that, those bottlenecks to housing growth and then uh, put, in, put in these applications to give them funding. I think it's a good model overall. I don't think it's, you know, the silver bullet uh, that we need, but it certainly uh, identifies a problem that we do have these slowdowns at the municipal level and, and does offer a solution.
0: It does, though, feel like things seem to take a a really long time in what's become a very urgent situation. You wrote a blog piece talking about the fact that we need about 5.8 million homes uh, built in this country. Do you stand by that number? And how did you land on that?
1: Yeah, so the, that number uh, comes from the CMHC, though I, I believe it's a, a reasonable uh, estimate. So they just look at things like demographics change, demographic changes. So, uh, you know, we know we have so many 18-year-olds right now who a decade from now will be 28-year-olds and, you know, looking to, to start families, uh, you know, immigration, uh, growth from immigration, international students, and that kind of thing. And to put that into context, it's essentially a tripling of, of home building, that uh, we tend to build about 250,000 homes a year, and this is call, calling for over 600,000 a year. So that is a big uphill uh, challenge, and it, a lot of it is that we've just underbuilt uh, for decades, and you know, now that's, uh, that's coming back to haunt us
0: are we going to be able to get it done in the, in the pace or at the speed that you think is really required to get everybody housed or to really address this problem and not just continue to create more of the same issue? So
1: I, I think it's possible. I don't think it's probable. So that's how I would describe it. Uh, I, I believe that we need a wartime like effort uh, to get there, where we have all three orders of government uh, working with builders and developers in the nonprofit sector to identify all the things that are causing us not to be able to build those homes. And, you know, that's everything uh, from uh, not having enough skilled trades workers to uh, these approvals processes being broken to a lot of great projects that are getting held up because of higher interest rates or or high taxes and, you know, going one by one and designing, you know, co-designing some solutions to address all of those barriers to growth
0: you know it feels when you describe it like that like there are so many different obstacles in the way i mean i think addressing some of the admin issues when it comes to just getting things done uh, is is one thing but trying to incentivize more people to enter the trades i mean you can't you can't make people you know take on more work if they just don't have any more time so it it's really i think it's a layered problem and it's a it's a complicated one are we Able to look at any other countries or jurisdictions and say, look, this is the model that we can use to to try and dig our way out of this.
1: Yeah, so there are some countries in in similar situations to ours that are doing some transformative things. So New Zealand, for instance, has really overhauled their approvals process at the municipal level in order to get more mid-rise apartments and things like that built. But we also recommend that we should look to the past, that this is not the first housing supply crisis we've had in Canada. Uh, We had one at the end of World War II when all the returning veterans came home and we needed to, to create housing for them. So we created a bunch of programs at the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation to do that. Back in the late 1960s, we had increased immigration targets and the first wave of baby boomers leaving their parents' homes and wanting apartments or wanting to live in um, uh, student dorms. So we had policies back then. We had some tax incentives to help get apartments built. So I think we should look to other countries, but we should also look to our own past and recognize that there's a lot of stuff we did back then that would would probably work again uh, if we, again, just had the political courage Do to implement
0: these things. You know, it's interesting that you put it that way because I think that so many people want to be able to point fingers and blame a certain government and maybe this government specifically because they're, you know, maybe they're frustrated with it, certainly in certain parts of the country that that might ring truer than others. But how did we steer so far away now from a model that you described seemed to have been working in the past?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think it's just that. I, I think it's just that sort of finger-pointing where uh, the the federal government, you know, says, well, how, you know, housing is a provincial responsibility, and, you know, the, the province might point to higher immigration targets right. or they, they might have, uh, point to uh, municipal delays and, and that kind of thing. So it's really one of these things that just, just kind of got out of hand that everybody – spent time sort of pointing, pointing fingers. And it's unfortunate that, you know, we aren't able to do what, or at least we haven't yet been able to do what we did in the past, where we all kind of came together to to solve a common uh, objective instead of, you know, what we've got now, which is just three different orders of government all kind of pointing fingers at each other and saying, no, it's their responsibility, <laughs> not ours.
0: Right. Yeah, that definitely rings true from, <laughs> from what I've certainly seen. I, I want to just mention quickly the immigration targets because that's another point of this conversation that I think keeps getting re-brought back up is a lot of people, I think, are, are suggesting the idea of maybe tightening the belt a little bit when it comes to uh, immigration as a whole. And I want to be careful with how I say this because I don't want to paint everybody with this brush suggesting that people don't want immigration to take place in our country. But I think people are wondering, you know, if we're having a housing crisis, why are we then allowing more people to come into a situation where they can't get housing? What do you say to that? Yeah,
1: I, I think it's worth looking at. Now, if we, if we look at uh, population growth over the last few years, it actually hasn't so much come from immigration, uh, which is kind of what we call permanent residency, But there's a lot of certain non-permanent programs like international students and temporary foreign workers. The federal government has said that they're going to look at that, you know, sort of exponential growth we've seen um, in the number of international students. But I also think it comes back to a lack of planning that oftentimes the federal government will announce on the 1st of November what the immigration target is for the next year. But that doesn't give municipalities and, and builders and planners time to adjust their plan. Mm. So I think instead it's not just a matter of how high the number is. But how much planning and how much lead time, if the government would instead say, you know what, this is going to be our numbers over the next 10 years, then we could have time to plan for it. And, yeah, governments change, and, you know, these plans can always be altered, but uh, it's just the way we go about things right now, that there doesn't seem to be a lot of consultation or foresight, so it doesn't allow uh, municipalities and and the market to adjust to all these changes in government policy.
0: You know, I think that long term planning is uh, going to be a big pillar of what's already kind of begun as a, as a campaign for uh, the next the next leader of this country. So how much do you think that housing is really going to play into the political games that we're going to see as a campaign continues to roll out over the next couple of years?
1: I think it's, it's it's going to be big, uh, particularly as it rolls into this kind of larger affordability issue. That's you know not just uh, housing, but uh, food and, and, and other issues like that. Um, it is the top of mind issue in particular for anybody under forty, which is a large and growing uh, segment of the population. So you know we're and, and I'm hopeful that actually something good can come out of that, that. I'm hopeful that we actually get kind of a race to the top of the of the various parties each trying to outdo each other on housing. So I do think it it is uh, potentially going to determine the outcome of the next election, and I I hope that creates the conditions for uh, parties to take this issue seriously.
0: Mike, just one more question on the heels of you mentioning that this needs to be uh, honestly a wartime approach and we need to, you know, kind of consider wartime spending in order to get our way out of this problem. I think, you know, Canadians don't mind hearing something like that as long as it doesn't necessarily affect them directly. I mean, are we talking about Canadians on the individual level really facing a situation where, you know, we are, our finances are going to be at, Stake And the idea of our houses maybe reducing in value because we need to allow more people to enter into the housing market. What does that boil down to for an individual Canadian?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and it doesn't necessarily uh, need to happen. Uh, that, that, you, you know, I, a path forward could simply be, you know, house prices not going up 10%, 15% a year, you know, going up closer to, you know, what wages are, are going up and inflation's going up. So, so not necessarily, uh, no. And, you know, we've had periods like this in the past that if you go from, say 1995 to 2004, house prices didn't go down. They just kind of steadily went up two to three percent a year. And that actually made housing more affordable because wages were going up four to five percent a year and interest rates were going down. So I do think there's a pathway here that doesn't involve necessarily a home price crash.
0: Mike, thank you so much for your time. I know you're very busy right now, uh, so I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: Of course, it's a pleasure. That's Mike Moffat, director of the Place Centre, of course, talking about Canada's housing crisis and is the Housing Accelerator Fund enough as calls grow for a wartime push?